0: what do you know about that man <laughs> that was pretty fun <laughs>
1: so i guarantee you i'm going to have at least one turkey hunt ruined by a coyote this year yeah well
2: it happened last year like so i'm not brothers we went down and turk coyote showed up at his place he started black he shoots him with a 17 hornady really he had a little stevens and Tumble a, a coyote with that. I've thing.
0: missed him with a twenty two
1: hornet before and <laughs> I missed two on Saturday. Oh. Oh, it hurt. It still hurts. I don't want to talk about it. But he'll <laughs> call
2: bragging, Man, turkeys everywhere. I go down there. Oh, coyote show up, we no turkeys. I think yeah. I think he's
1: <laughs> The last uh last last year the turkey I killed, so I went out and I set up and like I told you, it was raining. And I had this flock of, of turkeys and there was a couple of gobblers and a couple of hens come down off the roost about three hundred yards away from me and they were kinda of slowly working my way. I had decoys out. And then here comes a coyote cutting right in between us. Mm -hmm. And he was just kind of going back and forth, zigzagging these turkeys. And he actually re-roosted them uh, about an hour into the day. And I could see these turkeys on the roost. And after he re-roosted those uh, turkeys, he started making a loop down towards my decoys. So I was ready for him, but he circled just far enough downwind to to get me and take off before I could get a shot at him. So then I backed into the woods and I did a half mile around the field and got up and belly crawled through the field. Mm -hmm. And those turkeys flew back down. I popped one. So that's how my turkey hunt went last year. That's awesome. I was able to get, was, get one. but I was going to say, I was hoping you, uh, you took advantage of that mm-hmm. little, that flush. Oh, yeah. Know, it like was all style in the spring. They that's were cool. coming straight to me really slowly. But they were, I'm, I kind of, out there on that farm, I don't really have to call the turkeys in even. I mean, I kind of have them patterned. I know where they roost almost every single day. And they kind of have the same pattern. They, they go along the creek. And if I just set up down there, most of the time, they'll come by me almost like deer. Yeah. But I'd rather call them in. Yeah, or put a sneak on them. Yep, might try reaping them this year too.
0: Yeah, that's a popular thing. I saw some videos yesterday that made me want to try it. Yeah, yeah. Just ignore the ones where the guy's uh, holding the judge behind the the fan. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because that's
1: a no no. I'm gonna find a way to mount just a fan to my shotgun if I can find a way to shoot. Yeah, you can. There's some cool mounts uh, that they make. Oh, I'm poor. Like. It's gonna, gonna be homemade. I will
0: go to oh, Lowe's yeah. and buy
1: something for a buck fifty and yeah. rig it up with some super. Low David Hale was to. talking
0: about some kind of homemade rig he well, uses for a fan. Uh, you mean Harold Knight? Harold Knight? What yeah. Harold I say? Harold yeah, was Harold. David.
2: Hale. Well, was same. David. Yeah, Hale, but it's Knight. not the well, right. When he, part at, of the yeah. when he
1: was at the duo, when he was at the Collins show, he had the one he he had kind of read a, right. a call to it. Yeah. yeah. Did you yeah. see that bird he killed the other day? Monster. Biggest bird he's ever killed.
0: Huh. Whereabouts?
1: It was in Tennessee two-inch spurs they got a triple that day it was a uh, harold david and some other guy i'm not sure who it is but his last name's knight so it could be part of the family i'm not sure but tripled up and uh harold killed his biggest turkey ever on that hunt oh, wow, so that's awesome good for mm-hmm. him pretty cool yeah so uh let's go ahead and get it started we've been talking we always do this where i get to the introductions later That's all right I'm chase prime's Win- the pump yeah <laughs> yeah we're ready to go now i'm chase winiger sitting down with lee mcclellan
2: how is everybody
1: today and today we have zach thanks turkey program coordinator Howdy, folks. And, uh, Zach, so basically, we had Gabe on a few weeks ago. He's basically the head biologist over the deer and elk program. That's what you are for the turkey and grouse program, right? That's right. What are, is there any other species that I... Uh, nope.
0: nope. Turkey uh, and grouse? too. Yep.
1: So this time of year is kind of busy for you, I'm sure. It is. Yep. Like, yep. like you told us right before we started, you have somewhere you have to be a presentation you have to give tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And you just laid down a couple of things in front of me and Lee here, and one of them a report. For what what is this report for? I haven't even looked it over.
0: It's a I'm calling it a preseason report because it talks about last spring's harvest mm-hmm. and the uh, summer brood survey results and fall hunting results. It's, so it's kind of a synopsis of the last year in the life of Kentucky turkeys. Uh, Kentucky's turkey flock. It's titled uh, Kentucky
1: Wild Turkey Population Status Report 2018, and then the graph on the on the front here the 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 graphic is Kentucky Wild Turkey Population Trends 2018 through 2017.
0: So, I mean, this is kind of random, but is there anything in this report that would be good to talk about? Well, uh, we could just kind of quickly run down through it, um, given uh, the way the report's
1: organized. Mm-hmm. If this is something you want to get to or you think it's important, because there's a lot. We could talk. turkey season starts yeah, this weekend. So. Uh, it's
0: whatever. I mean, I can kind of run, run through it. It would be no, no problem at all. prep you for your presentation tomorrow. Well, tomorrow it's about grouse. That's the thing. Uh, I'm talking to a bunch I'm of d- loggers and,
1: talk, and, and I don't see why you're talking about grouse two days before turkey season opens. But yeah, you
0: know, that's just luck uh, of
2: the draw. Yeah, the, <laughs> it is drumming season;
0: they're out doing their thing right now, drumming. So, well, been doing a lot of surveys with that lately. So, years right. ago, I was fishing yeah. on North
2: Elkhorn Creek, and our... <laughs> you know, that was awesome. I think it was during the restoration when we were putting them out in places that were somewhat uh, unusual right i'll never forget that he was on a log drum it was great oh yeah
1: that's a awesome sound sure enough just any big takeaways from this report i'm kind of flipping through it i'm looking at yeah just participation in some of the studies looks like it've increased over the
0: last year yeah absolutely so the report starts out talking about reproduction uh which amongst turkey biologists is just uh you know it's a topic of conversation you know anytime we're together because what we've all seen in the last uh decade or so, is a major shift, uh, a downward trend in poults observed with hens hmm. uh, since the restoration days, early 80s for us. Uh, other states have got started earlier with restoration, so, but they have seen the same trends. So it looks like that there are fewer poults per hen. So in the graph, you know, you'll know, you see uh, how it's changed over time. Generally, uh, our index, if, if we have an average of two poults per hen, we consider that kind of break-even, pretty, pretty decent reproduction. Yeah, I see the graph now. And we've kind of been below that the last several years, uh, but we do fluctuate. So this kind of goes along with harvest totals, which we can talk about in a second, and how that's kind of in a fluctuating phase, we're post-restoration. Mm-hmm. Well, we're wondering how that uh, all ties into reproduction, too. And um, okay. so uh, the good thing about last year's survey is I was able to, without some outreach, uh, help with the department uh, got a bunch more observers on that survey, mm-hmm. members yeah. of the public, to help out with their observations as well as department staff. And so that really ups our confidence in the, uh, in the survey. And the, the accuracy the, of the survey. Right. But the downside is it's uh, the results showed one of the worst reproductive years ever. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now. But uh, that's probably because we had some real, real strong rain events, mm-hmm. gully-washing type events uh, last summer. And those can be absolutely detrimental to uh, young polts. So just looking at this
1: graph real quick, because the people obviously can't see it unless they look at this, which yeah. will probably be available right. somewhere, right?
0: Yeah, it's on the website now. Yep. So I'm
1: just looking for kind of average years. Um, 1989, we're looking at four pulses per hen. Mm-hmm. Um, 1999, 3.4. 1998 is 2.4, so it's decreased right there. Mm-hmm. 2004, 2.3. 2010,
0: 1.9. Last year, 1.3. So a pretty <clears throat> significant decrease over the last 24 years yeah so a couple things there again this that same trend has been observed in nearly every state in the southeast and midwest so this is a a big topic for for we biologists for sure and uh uh, we really think two things as i talked i mentioned in the report there's something that biologists it's a biological phenomenon theory that we all talk about learn about in school it's called density dependence Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. basically it's a the uh, researchers postulate that as a population grows and grows, as our turkey flock did in the in the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. when we were uh, restoring them, you know, an individual hen had virtually unlimited access to yeah. you know, yes. so habitat. she could find that top notch nesting spot and broodering spot, and she did. Yeah. Uh, so one thought is that the per capita output per hen output of mm-hmm. pullets was better then, yeah, because habitat. they didn't have to compete with themselves. Yeah. Uh, as much, and then
1: well, it's something you know. similar to what happens with deer and coyote and a lot of animals. A deer, sure. if there's more habitat or if there's a less deer density compared to the amount of food and habitat and everything they have, sure. a fawn—I mean, a doe might have two fawns or three fawns as opposed to just one. Don't you think instinct right.
2: would kind of dictate hey Yeah, you know. When
1: well, they say that coyotes, you know, if um, if there's more opportunity for a coyote population, then the coyotes will have um, larger litters. Mm-hmm. So uh, I feel like that's common in a lot of animals, but I didn't really think about it with. with turkeys at all
0: yeah i mean it, it's just kind of common sense if you think about it i mean there's only so many good spots uh mm-hmm. to go around so maybe uh, the boss hen you know of a flock mm-hmm. she can find it but some of these jinnies that are trying to nest for the first time they may be relegated to these to the lesser quality is. yes marginal making... so they're more likely to get picked off by yeah. uh potentially the coyote or whatever uh, yeah. but more likely nest predators that's yeah. where we lose most what are the most the majority
1: of nest predators it's not right. coyotes. People always
0: think about coyotes. They do. I like yeah. to
1: think about coyotes.
0: Coyote, coyotes are really neat animals. Uh, I've seen some trail cam videos from a research project in uh, Louisiana. Coyotes coming up to a nest, sniffing the eggs. I mean, they flush the hen off, mm-hmm. sniffing the eggs. They go right on. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that happens all the time. They they could depredate the eggs, but but your biggest predators are raccoons,
2: say, yeah.
0: black rat snakes, uh, crows, mm-hmm. uh, possums. A just, lot of, you know, those, those we call meso carnivores, meadow mammals. You know, <laughs> those are, those are uh, your biggies. Yeah. And, uh, and less um, trapping probably means more atkins too. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a factor too. Yeah. yeah. Cause we uh, need some better pelt prices perhaps, but yeah. yeah, we really just need really good habitat. And uh with the way people mow their fields, keep them super clean. We have uh really even aged forests. You know, mm-hmm. we don't have diversity of forest stages, all these things. I'm a big habitat guy. Yeah. I'm I sure. just really think it's a, at any given place, that's what's going to be a that's big factor. Everything. It. Yeah, it's it's really important. So, so we you know a lot of things there, but um, you know these these are just things we're we're throwing out. We don't have all the answers. Uh, mm-hmm. the turkey biologist, of course, but we're we're studying it, and uh, it really the biggest thing. I mean, in any given year, uh, affecting the turkey, the turkey flock, or the next year's flock is going to be the reproduction that year. And, if, and so, if they can avoid the predators. Well, it'll be easier to avoid pred- predation of the nests typically if we have good weather. Yeah. So there's something called a wet hen hypothesis. That's mm-hmm. like if you get really humid, wet weather when hens are nesting, that they become more vulnerable to coyotes mm-hmm. and bob- You know, any predator that could get that hen on the nest because scenting conditions are better. Oh, okay. um, but if you get, we know for sure if you get cold, wet weather for stretches in late May, early June, when the majority of bolts uh, are hatching. That can oh, I'm sure. still die, you know, mm-hmm. from exposure. So, because they're either, they're, they're so little, uh, it catches them when they're not brooded under the hen, or when they get to that kind of quail size, where they're almost too, some of them can't fit under that hen. Yes. Uh, they'll, they'll get bred, they'll get. Uh, so, uh, so looking, at, I mean, that's
1: that's interesting info, pulse per hen. I never
0: had yeah. looked at that before.
1: And you were talking about the weather. In yeah. late May, early June, when there are pults, mm-hmm. but I think everybody right now going into turkey season is probably wondering how the weather we've had is going sure. kind to of affect it because we've had kind of a strange spring so far. I you wouldn't know, even call it a spring.
2: No, so no yeah, late, it's like it. late winter, and then we'll have summer. Yeah, but I mean, there. My I have spring a little, will last about a week and a half.
1: The water behind my house was frozen this morning. I live down in a low spot. It gets quite a bit colder, but I mean, it was frozen over
0: on mm-hmm. the on the edges there. So I mean, so it's, it just kind of shows how things vary from year to year. Yeah. That back last March. I think I was on talking with Charlie Baglin and I was trying to uh, kind of put people at ease that, hey, we're not we're not going to miss the turkey season because last year the green up came early. Yeah. It's Whether it was this year. Yeah, it's total opposite. People yeah. were thinking they were going to miss it. But we still had turkeys gobbling into June well after yeah. the season. And we had, you know, second, third highest season, uh, season harvest ever last year. This year, uh, things have been shifted. The the primary driver for reproduction is uh, photo period, amount of daylight, but we know weather plays a factor too. Uh So probably it's pushed back some this year. It could be that this year, after this front this weekend moves through, we Mm -hmm. could, if you're able to hunt next week, Uh uh, during the week, you might just hit some absolute excellent gobbling conditions. Weather but, looks uh,
1: good for next week too. Yeah. Highs in the high
0: fifties or low sixties. Yeah. Be I some feel comfortable like comfortable hunting. Yeah.
1: yeah. Pretty, pretty, yeah. pretty perfect.
0: And, and the weather, you know, like I say, the weather's going to keep some people indoors. Uh, if it's, if it is a stormy as they're predicting, then, you know, we could see a dip in harvest. Yeah. And, uh, we saw, but, a dip. you know, then. if you go, if it's safe enough, no mm-hmm. lightning storms, you know, yeah. it's, Without a storm, if it's raining and you're hardy enough, you can get out there and just change your tactics a little bit. You're not going to be able to hear birds gobbling as well, and they may not be gobbling as well, but they'll still gobble. Turkeys are hardy. I mean, you'll see them out in the middle of a sideways blowing rain Mm -hmm. in a field. I mean, they don't care. So if you're able if you know their movement patterns uh, and do a little scouting, you could still – So I'm saying that's why I'll be out there Sunday for
1: sure, Uh, no matter how hard it's raining, like you said, unless there's lighting, because I've got kind of those turkeys figured out in that spot. So I'll definitely give that a try. You were talking about uh, how harvest numbers could be down this weekend if it is raining, just because some people won't participate. Um, Me and you talked earlier this week about the youth harvest. Mm -hmm. I know they were a little bit down, but if you look at the weather from this past weekend, it was I mean, it was ridiculous.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, yesterday I pulled up the National Weather Service, or actually, no, this was another weather site, uh, Kentucky Net, it's called. And on there, you can look up uh, past weather, mm-hmm. and the last three days, the departure from normal for the low temperature was like 12 degrees mm-hmm. below yeah. normal for central Kentucky and 7, 8, 9 degrees for the west parts. I mean, it's just, it was off, and was that snowing. definitely affected the amount of effort hunters put in and thus we have a, one of the lower heart lowest harvest in about 10 11 years yeah so. but a lot of that's participation i'm sure it was hard hunting something also but
2: it's hard Absolutely. to get your kids out when
0: there's
1: snow on the yeah. ground today oh yeah you, know. you got to
0: be a pretty hardy youngster even to go much mm-hmm. less sit there long enough i mean my so buddy he, he went and left the left the field in the snow with four gobblers hung up at 60 70 yards because mm-hmm. this kid who is a you know a tough little boy yeah he couldn't stand it yeah. so yeah i know uh, i know some people that the and had good luck. We
1: put a, I don't know if you guys are follow our Facebook page, Kentucky Field one, but we put a picture up of a kid, five years old now there, he had his bird and it was snowing in the picture. Wow. It was a, yeah, Harlan Tipton's that kid's name, five cool. years old out there hunting in the snow. It, I mean, it, I never had seen a lot of turkey pictures in the snow, but it,
0: it was cool. Condi- I'm glad it's not going to be like that this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, conditions you'd encounter in the out West or, uh. Northeast, sometimes yeah. in spring season. So. It's ridiculous. But
1: like I said, I'm looking forward to it. And you think that, I mean, turkey season is going to be just fine. Might be a little bit slow off the bat just because of participation. But if anything, this colder weather could have pushed breeding back a little bit. Yeah. Which could be good for us. I hear a lot of people saying, why doesn't turkey season start sooner here? I guess
0: compared to other states, do we start late? Compared to some. Yeah. Especially in the southeast. Yeah. But uh, I really hope people understand yeah, what's the reason why we do that. Okay, it's based on some research 40, 50 years ago Mm -hmm. that kind of looked at the chronology Mm -hmm. of gobbling. Mm -hmm. So the theory being that when you're hearing that that first peak in gobbling, that's when a lot of breeding activity is happening. So if we start our season then, Mm -hmm. we are not only potentially shooting gobblers that would otherwise have had a chance to breed, Mm -hmm. but we're also putting hunters in the woods when hens... uh, are out there mm-hmm. and could be mistaken for gobblers they could be you know poached so we're actually trying to uh, let them breed just a little bit yeah we, we need get some up. breeding to happen yeah. absolutely and then you know once a lot of hens get bred in your local population they're no longer interested in that gobbler mm-hmm. so they're going to go off and start laying an egg per day mm-hmm. uh, for the next couple weeks well that gobbler is going to start they're going to start hammering on the gobbling again and so you can see a second peak. And so mm-hmm. some states chose to set their, yeah. their season around kind of what we think of as the average date for that. Now, that varies. This year, we may not have a second peak. We may only get one. Yeah. It just, you never know. And we, we do the best we can to, to set our seasons in that sort of, th- with that thinking. Um, but it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. So some years, yeah, you hear a lot of gobbling early. and You may not hear it for the first weekend, week of the season. But sometime in our three-plus-week season, you're going to hear some goblin. Yeah. Now, you know, I like to harvest a turkey. I like to have a great time. Some guys, it almost doesn't count to them unless they're able to call the bird in. And everybody's got their own personal standards. But if you hunt enough through the week, you, you'll have you'll typically be able to experience a range of behaviors. Yeah. You know, so now contrast the way our season is set and then a few other states with sort of the deep southern model, mm-hmm. I guess I'll say, which is, they start way early, uh-huh. into March, and well, they which they're farther south. We're so, talking about so, like in Alabama, yeah, Alabama, Mississippi, all of those kind of states. And not taking anything away from them, they're, they're like yeah. that's classic turkey hunting but country. On, but at the same time, though, I've heard rumors that Alabama's numbers are way down. Well, a lot of the southern states are concerned, yeah, um, and uh, they have they've been seeing some declines. Of course, they've had turkeys longer than us, mm-hmm. so the, the sort of changing. Of the turkey population dynamics has happened there sooner, Uh, but to the extent that might be influenced by early hunting seasons and really long hunting seasons Uh and very liberal bag limits, Uh we want to avoid that as much as possible because we're we're in an uncertain time. Let's face it, you know. Uh I mean, uh, we're past restoration; we've Uh got a healthy flock for the most part, but there are areas that people tell me numbers are way down. Yeah, and you know, I can you know some have some experience too. It's it's not like you see them every in every field driving down the parkway or the interstate uh, same yeah. time you, there, there's still a lot and yeah. so we're in this fluctuating time period and so yeah. the basically the way
1: our and when you were telling me about you know they, they they're going to be gobbling we're going to give them a chance to breed and then as hens go on the nest the gobblers are going to be looking for other hens mm-hmm. because those hens aren't going to be interested anymore kind of reminds me of the first threat and the second right for deer hunting yeah so for the benefit of the turkey And for biological reasons we're basically saying as far as turkeys are concerned we're going to let you guys have that first rut to breed and to get some of the hens on the nest so they aren't you know out there quite as much in the Mm -hmm. in the way in danger however you want to put it and then we're
0: going to hunt the second rut is that kind of the yeah Yeah, that's a general yeah kind of a way you could could catch it and you know people may not agree with that but i'm telling you when you've got a a precious resource you you need to got it's a fine balance between uh, the social concerns and the biological and yeah. We, yeah we have to manage the population I mean turkey season in Kentucky is great yeah I, I mean, have no complaints yeah oh gosh it's so mm. so awesome
1: yeah and like I said when you' when you were talking about how the deep southern states uh do actually start their season back sooner they kind of clicked in my mind well I've heard that they're having some population issues so maybe mm-hmm. we're avoiding something potentially bad by doing it that way
0: yeah I just don't uh, George Wright our architect of our turkey program he hit it on the the nail on the head with the season timing and i just Mm -hmm. think it still applies to our population so we need to keep it going on the front page of the
1: uh, report you gave me here there was actually a graph showing some decreasing some counties with decreasing populations counties with stable populations and increasing populations you got 17 listed as decreasing two of which are counties i hunt but uh Sorry, two, I mean, two out of 17 i mean that's yeah that's just my luck stable 72 counties and increasing 31 counties
0: yeah so, i mean 17 uh, out of 120 yeah it's a pretty good ratio
1: yeah I mean, i'm, I'm I not complaining at all and i've got plenty of, i mean <clears> there's plenty of turkeys shelby county henry county owen county are three listed in the decreasing right. and all three of those counties i know for a fact have good turkey numbers yeah. so it's not like they're hurting for anything
0: yeah uh, there's a lot of Factors. I mean, this is all. This is sort of based on harvest. It's a. It's a trend. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the. The going, uh, trend in harvest over the last ten years. You could break this down, into a five-year trend, and it would look different still. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, part of this is based on, like we talked earlier, the fluctuation, or the change into a a more stabilized fluctuating pattern rather than just boom record mm-hmm. set every other year yeah, we, we're just not probably going to be there who knows we could have a, a super harvest but don't think so um and so as the populations kind of come in check with their habitat you're going to have some down years mm-hmm. you're going to have stretches of down years and that's disconcerting to people certainly um, so everybody wants to point to disease or predators and and yeah those things can have uh, can have an effect and they, they play a role in any population habitat can change uh, a lot of things going on but uh, and we intend to look at that some of that stuff okay. as much as possible but there's just there's too much going on we we know generally our statewide turkey flock is is doing pretty well
2: and we're at carrying capacity pretty much now
0: correct well I think our uh, the way our harvest trend is uh, that's what it's indicating at a statewide level now it's Obviously, we manage on a county basis. Mm -hmm. So, there, I get calls all the time on my part of such and such county. We have no data there. We have no ability to manage on that fine of a scale. Um, At that point, it's really about a hunter access and Mm -hmm. how much people are, how much effort they're putting forth on any one farm over time. You've always told me the hardest thing to measure is effort. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's that's one thing I'm really trying to get at uh, when we were talking about the use season earlier with the weather we know people stayed home that otherwise would have taken their uh, kid out to yeah. hunt so how much did that did our effort go down mm-hmm. we don't know that because mm-hmm. we've not conducted a, a survey that would measure that in a long time and uh, but a lot of states do it routinely so that's one of my big management goals for the near term is to get some estimates of that yeah. because if you just think about using harvest as an a guide to the, where the population is you know, there's been studies saying that that works yeah. to to some degree. But you're missing a variable. You're missing a variable. You're missing a denominator. What would be a better guide would be the number of turkeys harvested per thousand man days, mm-hmm. or thousand hours hunted, or, yeah. you know, so, by some unit of time. Yeah, that makes because sense. Because if, if we kill 10 turkeys in 10 days, population, you know, from year to year, that's a stable population. Mm-hmm. If we kill 10 turkeys in 10 days this year— and next year we kill six turkeys in six days because mm-hmm. of bad weather. Well, what's that tell us? The population level may be staying the same. Yeah, we'll But our harvest be, yeah. trend is affected by the amount of effort we so put So this is stuff. something you're gonna to try to start measuring? Yeah, so I've, I've got a, uh, a hunter log that folks can go onto our website and they can download a, a PDF copy or they can download an Excel spreadsheet. This is other they, thing you gave me enter here. In. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that allows them basically to just keep a, a daily log of their hunts for each day of the season. You know, I'm asking you to record, uh, you know, how many hours per day you hunt. That's the biggie variable. It's number one, and that's that's where I'm getting my effort information. But also variables like the weather, mm-hmm. you know, how ha- uh, some guys are going to tough it out in that those bad conditions, and others won't.
1: You know, this is kind of cool too. Uh, though a lot of people like when they go fishing or when they go hunting. A lot of people would like to keep a log of their hunts anyway. Yeah, and so, some people do. This is kind of a way to help you do it. It's sure, pre- it's pre-printed
0: for you. Hopefully, it's hopefully it'll it'll cover those bases for them. Yeah. Public private land. Uh, what was the in, your estimate of gobbling intensity? How many gobblers did you hear? See other turkeys, other species. You're a coyote guy. Well, there you go. You got a place to, to jot that down. I also manage rough grouse, so Eastern Kentucky turkey hunters mm-hmm. you could they could potentially hear
2: some and this drumming is valuable grass. information very okay. valuable
1: yeah well, it's and valuable yeah but I think it's kind of cool too because I would like to have a log of my hunts imagine if somebody kept this year after year and they could go back and literally look at any because you have harvest you have it that as an option on here- mm-hmm. so I mean you could literally go back
0: and basically see your season and hunts Sure can well, yeah and if you're interested in the the National Wild Turkey Federation's trophy Turkey program. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't manage the records. You know everybody talks about, but here you go. You can you can uh, get your tape measure out. Go to the. I should have put their uh, the link to their website, but you just if you just search for uh, internet search for NWTF turkey records. They've got a great website. Man, I, was, I was on there today. So you can you can do this measuring. Uh, write it down here, and you'll have it for your long term records. And then you can pop it right into their website, and they'll give you an estimate. And you. you you know, just follow their process for having it scored.
1: On the records website you were just talking about, it basically gives you per county the uh, the largest uh, bird as far as weight goes, the largest as far as beard length goes, and the largest total score. Yeah. And so I was just curiously looking at the county I hunt today, and right now the largest total score, or the largest weight bird ever reported in Shelby County is 24 pounds. Okay. I was
0: like, well... Uh, that might be a challenge. Yeah, that's one yeah. that's probably breakable. Yeah, it mm-hmm. seems like folks really put a lot of stock in that weight thing. Yeah, I'm a spur kind of guy myself. Oh, the spurs really, are the best indicator of the really, turkey's age, right? Oh, it's it's amazing when you see a big old super sharp yeah spur. But I mean, any bird is a trophy. Oh I mean, yeah. My goodness, if, especially if you're sitting there with a buddy or your dad or mom or kid. I mean, good gosh, it's they're all awesome. But uh, but yeah, it's fun to look at the, the records.
2: Mm-hmm. And Zach, you have uh, several. Surveys and, and opportunities for people on the inside of the spring uh, yep. hunting guide.
0: That's right. That, so that,
2: that would that, that you're looking to to glean more information from hunters if they want to participate in other aspects.
0: That's right, Lee. Yeah, the next one will be it's not up yet, but as soon as the season closes, I'll have a a voluntary online turkey hunter survey. Mm-hmm. So even if you did not hunt this spring for whatever reason, but you consider yourself a turkey hunter. Go check it out because there'll be questions that apply to you. But certainly turkey hunters, I want to know, again, how much you hunted and what your experiences were like. I'm trying to get at that effort, data, information, yeah. but also get some thoughts from the from the so our hunter constituents. I know you
1: have to, to take off and, and get ready for everything else you have going on. You're like you said earlier, you're busy right now. But if somebody wanted to find these surveys and wanted to, is this report available it as is. well? It yep. is. So, if somebody wanted to see the report we were talking about, or, or get their hands on one of these uh, the hunter surveys or anything like that.
0: Where would they go? fw.ky.gov uh-huh you'll see a link, it says Hunt. It's okay. uh, a little menu bar, left half side of the screen. Yeah. Click that and it'll you scroll down to Game Species, click mm-hmm. there, and then you'll see Spring Turkey amongst the other species. Okay. Click Spring Turkey. When that page comes up, you'll see the first link is the Hunter Log Survey, which they can, uh, they can download. There's also the preseason Report. Uh, it'll be telling you to check back at the uh, end of the season for that online survey. Mm-hmm. And we'll have a brood survey in the summer for yeah. yeah. July and August that we'd really like people to help out with as well. And we'll also have a, a similar fall postseason survey in probably December January. So if somebody
1: wanted to participate and help out with, I mean, basically, turkey, it's basically helping out with turkey yeah. management. Sure. And I think,
2: it, go ahead, Lee. This information, I think people don't realize how important it is, you yeah. know, because yeah. this is the real deal, not uh, estimates or, you know, this is actual reported data. And the more people you get to participate, just the better management decisions we'll make. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, think, I think a lot of people don't, don't realize how important they are for, mm-hmm. yeah. to, to our, our biologists. So,
1: so yeah. fw.ky.gov in the top menu bar, click it, scroll down, spring turkey. a uh, Game species. Game and species turkey, and yeah. then spring turkey, and you'll find the surveys and all, everything you could pretty much want right there. That's it. Good deal. Good deal. Well, Zach, I appreciate you stopping by. I know you got to take Is there anything else you want to just throw in there
2: before you do take off? What about your Livingston County and Crittenden County? It's good point.
1: Oh, yeah. That, yes, I read that press release earlier. That's a, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of interesting. It seems like a good way for people to get their bird breasted out by the department.
0: Yeah, that's true. My <laughs> hand's probably going to be pretty, uh, pretty worn out. I'm yeah. going to be, be tired. Uh, but, the, yeah, this weekend, opening weekend, in, uh, we're going to be set up in Salem, Kentucky at the Tamco Convenience Center there. It's real most convenient place for hunters uh, in Critton and Livingston County to capture both those counties. We're going to be set up there. It's, uh, it's sort of like a check station. We're trying to get people together, but it's totally voluntary. We're not checking you per se. We will have uh, game wardens there from time to time, periodically. But it's really a chance to uh, two things. One, uh, gather 15 to 30 turkey carcasses mm-hmm. that people would be willing to donate to us that we can have sent off to a lab. For a necropsy, you know, an autopsy, uh, check them out for parasites, other things like that, and uh, we'll, like you said, we'll, we'll breast, give them the breast meat if they want it through a beard, fan, and spurs. Uh, but that can really hopefully provide some good information on the health of our uh, mm-hmm. health of our flock. We've never really tried this before. And uh, secondly, is just to be available to talk to hunters. Yeah. you, know, I don't know if we'll have five guys or fifty or 500, but yeah, uh, it you know we always like hearing from folks, and it's a chance for us to explain what we know, what we don't know, and mm-hmm. hear from from folks as well, I'll like, trying to gather, so.
1: gather some of this info from them as well, I'm sure absolutely. so but basically, in summary, what we're trying we want the parts of the turkey carcass that are usually wasted. So they're, or not wasted, but I mean, nobody's going to use yeah. the guts for anything. Right. So they're going to get to keep the spurs, the fan, uh, the beard, the meat. We're just basically taking the carcass and we're using that for research to help us out. And basically the reason for this, if I read the press report, right, was because there is some declining population.
0: Yeah. On that map, you sh- the front page of that report uh-huh. you were looking at, yeah, Livingston Crittenden is one of a few pockets of persistent decline, especially over the last five years. Mm-hmm. But uh, it stretches back you know, a little bit. And- you know, we want to try to begin looking at, at what could be going on there because that's a traditional yeah. turkey hunting stronghold. And, uh, yeah, it's just a way to, I can't be everywhere. Yeah. And this is a, being a sort of a pilot kind of project. Uh, I got a, we got a, a great staff down there, wildlife and law enforcement, uh, Philip Sharp's a local biologist, and he's, uh, helping me spearhead this effort. And there was a lot of guys here's, here's from a lot of hunters about numbers, uh, declining. And I'm, I know a lot of us here at the department are hearing that, and, uh, again, we're trying to, we, we are concerned, and we, we want to do the best we can with management, so this is kind of a first step. Yeah. Well, if I was in those counties, I would stop by. I mean, that sounds like something yeah. fun. And yeah, if nothing you know. else, it's definitely
1: something that would be interesting or, or helpful to take part in, and you get your bird clean for you. Yeah. Is, yeah, so have fun with that Zach no yeah. doubt Yeah, <laughs> can be yeah. a turkey cleaner next. have you ever seen those videos on YouTube sounds like the inside of a turkey smells like a big uh, of roses no. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> at least you're not doing it with coyotes yeah,
0: yeah no No. it's relatively uh, nice to do with the game birds so. you ever seen those guys on YouTube or something like the
1: Spanner guys with the knives and they just clean a deer in like 90 seconds flat oh, per- uh, perfect cuts of meat that would be huh. you when you're done with this yeah
0: yeah, if I'm able to stand upright. Yeah, I'm if good. your hand still works. Because those guys down there are pretty ardent killers, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you stopping
1: by, Zach. I'm not trying to run you off. but Like I said, I know you got no stuff problem. to do, and me and Lee are going to chat white bass for a little bit too. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, we'll try to, we try to be seasonal with the podcast, yeah. and yeah. right now, of course, turkey season is around the corner, so it's seasonal, and white bass should be running, so that's seasonal.
0: Oh, that's some fun, fun fishing right there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Chase. Thanks, Lee. All
1: right, man. All right.
2: Take care.
0: I uh, will be talking to you
1: soon that was fun it was yeah i like talking to zach he's a good guy so yeah i was wanting to talk to you about white bass also i know you're wanting to talk about white bass because that's your thing yeah you've been fishing that for quite a while
2: um i've been fishing white bass now probably since um, about 1986 so
1: some of the listeners i just thought might not know about the white bass run i think a lot of people don't know about it but it's basically, just, it's like if there is a, an event, a fishing event in Kentucky, like some natural event that happens that mm-hmm. is worth taking advantage of, it's probably the white bass run. Mm-hmm. And you, you know more about it than me, so just kind of tell me about it, because I'm sure you know a lot more about it than me.
2: Well, you know, Harrington Lake was kind of the epicenter of white bass fishing in the upper south from, uh, especially in the 40s and 50s. People would come from several states away to fish that run. And it was in what the, the area known as Rankin Bottoms was like the epicenter. And, mm-hmm. and you get there by on like, Kentucky 52 between Lancaster and Danville, you go over the dicks there. Yeah. And I've seen pictures, and you've seen those same I've historic seen, seen pictures it. with tons of Trucks and cars lined up and down the road there for people well, to, to why, fish. Well,
1: why? Why do the white bass run? Because when you when you go, basically, I've heard of people going out there and catching their fifteen fish limit and fifteen casts. Mm-hmm. I and mean, when they're running, it is as
2: on as fishing gets. One day we had a little contest in Lower Elkhorn. Yeah, and we and how many fish can you catch on consecutive casts? And I had the lead there with nine. But then my buddy Glenn smoked me. I think he ended up getting like 16 fish on 16 casts. Man. <laughs> <And it's, laughs> that's what that's appeal white like bass is because yeah. when they're on, yeah. I mean, they're on. That's
1: what I'm saying. There's no other fishing quite like white bass. And they're good-sized fish. I mean, too. And they
2: taste great if you get rid of the red meat. Get yeah. that red meat out.
1: I would two, three, four pounds about right for white bass. But
2: most of them are going here in Kentucky. will run pound and a half to to two some even less than that usually 11 to about 15 inches yeah. you get them above 15 inches you're getting into some caught, really nice we caught fish. some good ones on nolan last year that were a little bit bigger than that i want and, to say nolan has the best population of kentucky okay it?
1: yeah but so so why do they run because that's something i don't the, completely understand
2: well it's it's their reproductive right and uh-huh. things have to white bass populations i remember when i first came on the department in, in 2000 we were in a lull period with white bass. A lot of that is, is related to weather factors and drought. Mm-hmm. And if you'll remember, we had some droughts in the early 2000s. We had some significant drought in the late 80s to early uh, 90s. Uh, I
1: was too young.
2: And, and, and you, <laughs> one of the variables you have to have for, for white bass to run is flow. Uh-huh. So if you have a really dry spring, you may not have a run you're going to have a very weak run. Uh-huh. So you have to have flow. At the proper time, when mm-hmm. the water temperature and the photo period all kind of come together,
1: and so they're basically running upstream to sp- upstream
2: too. That's how they spawn. What yes. are they looking for? Um, well, they're they're looking for flow and further enough up. And I believe the males go up first, uh-huh. and that's the when you catch a lot of white bass, they're all the same size. Those are almost always males, and then later the females will come up and they will disperse their eggs, and then the males disperse their milt, uh-huh. and then that's how they do it with the drift. Okay. Um, Stripers try to, that's how striped bass, and, and they're all in the Moroni family, uh, and, and the oceans would run up the rivers, and that's how they would spawn. So, mm-hmm. um, but that's why these populations can go up and down so much, is you have to have all three variables hit at the proper time. Okay. Huh. And if they don't, then if it's too flooded, they may not run. Or And this year, I'm wondering, I don't think they've run
1: yet. Hey, I was at the salt last night trying to catch them. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any luck last night at the salt. But the conditions look perfect. Mm-hmm. There was good flow. Water clarity was good. Like, I'm not a white bass expert, but if I was going to
2: say that's pretty good fishing water, I mean, that's what we had. I think it's because we've had such an unusually cool yeah. March. Yeah. Um, the water temperatures just aren't quite there. Yeah. To, they're still low. You, you've got to have that and the the, the flow to say, hey, an and instinct takes yeah. over.
1: It's usually this time of year that they're running, though. Last year. Well, the,
2: the, the old saying used to be when the red buds bloom, the, the white bass are running. When the dogwoods bloom, the crappie are spawning. Okay, and uh, so the red buds have already come out. Mine just came out, so yeah. we're we're in that. You know, we're in the ballpark.
1: Yeah. Well, Charlie Logston last year um, was telling us uh, a Good Friday was a good safe bet. Yes. But of course, that's a completely weather dependent because last year Good Friday we'd had warm weather for a month. Oh yeah, we, last year was wonderful. This year we're still looking for it. Yes. But um, yeah. So as far as like I said, I'm no white bass expert. I went to the salt last night because I saw some people online catching them. Mm-hmm. and uh, while I was there, I ran into a guy who was fishing, and he said he had gone last weekend, and he caught his limit, and the, the very next day, he went back and did the exact same thing and didn't catch
2: any. Well, that probably was related to that snow event we had, too. Yeah. You so, know, I mean, they'll come up sometimes. If we get some inclement weather, they'll go back down. They'll yeah. come up, they'll go back down. We need an extended warm front. That would be the number one thing that would help us. Oh,
1: well, hopefully. It's, warm. it's supposed to be warm enough. So it's
2: It'll year. be 81 this Friday, and this yeah. is the 11th day, end of April. So. Yeah. Friday would be the fourteenth. Um, yes.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's so, thirteenth. No, I know. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I hadn't even thought about it. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about it. But, you
2: know, that, maybe go to the track and flip that, flip that luck. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, white bass has a very uh, rich history because of that Harrington Lake fishery. Some several of the techniques that 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 were popular uh, still were originated here in Kentucky. And then you were talking about your buddy doing a. A hopper and yeah, dropper,
1: yeah. Rig. so yeah. I don't think I said that on the I just happened to tell you that earlier. Mm-hmm. I was spin fishing for him and I was throwing a inline spinner, per your suggestion. Mm-hmm. A pearl White I had some other stuff with me too, but I didn't toss it. And he was uh fly fishing and he was using what's called a hopper dropper. Mm-hmm. So he had a, a floating grasshopper tied onto his leader and then he had tippet dropped off that grasshopper and he had a woolly bugger white, uh, yes, okay, yes, hanging below it. So he was fishing surface, and then also, I I guess, depending on the flow, his his woolly bugger was going to be hanging at different levels Mm -hmm. in the water column, but I'm going to say he's probably fishing a foot and a half on average depth. Uh, So we were just trying a few different things, and I think catching those things on the, if you could do it on the fly rod like he was, Mm -hmm. like if they were actually running and he was catching them, that would have been
2: a blast. Well, back in the day, they had a technique that was developed in Harrington Lake called the plunker and fly. People took a piece of broom handle, Uh painted it, and put an eyelet off the back, and then dropped a doll fly, which is an old white uh, hair jig. Yeah, hair jig. And would pop, pop, pop. And that commotion would draw the interest of the white bass, and they'd see that hair jig, and they'd hit it. Yeah. Now, as time went on, people, I bought a, a lure, and I still have it, at Kurt Singer's in Danville, and it's and it was designed for that. And it had hooks on both ends, but in the middle, it was a prop bait. It was like a double uh, torpedo. Uh-huh. And in the middle, it had an eyelet, and you dropped your dropper off the middle. Yeah. So you rip, rip. And I destroyed them on that in Harrington Lake. I just kind
1: of like that. the idea.
2: And uh, i I'd use a white curly-tail grub
1: as my dropper. So some of the baits people typically use for white bass, you know more than I do, but I know hair jigs, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a beetle spin
2: or a meps or a rooster tail. Yeah, uh, meps, uh, rooster tails are great. And also vary your depth. A lot of people don't maybe let it count to 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. Yeah. And work your way down. Sometimes they're four, four five, six feet deep. And and you don't, the people are like, oh, they're not running, and they're just deeper.
1: Yeah. So those are the baits people typically use. And you were talking about those two techniques we just talked about, hopper-dropper. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was the one you called? The plunker and fly. Yeah, so those are where you got something on the surface, mm-hmm. and then you're dropping your bait down. And I've, I've seen people use the hair jigs under a bobber or a strike yes, indicator. I have too. And that kind of lets and you I've control. And I've done well
2: with that. Kind
1: of lets you control your depth. We, we caught them like that at Nolan last year. But I kind of like the idea of instead of using a bobber, mm-hmm. using a popper or a floating bait or something. Because
2: sometimes, I mean, you, you may have a white bass pull that down, but then you throw a little bit upstream. You might have a, a small bass or a good bass hit the yeah. top water. You might have a... Um, a white. Sometimes you'll get them on both. You'll have one yeah. on the top water and one on your dropper. Oh rate. man, talk about catching! That would be a blast.
1: Catch yes. your fifteen fish limit and seven cast or yeah. eight, eight cast. Yeah. And,
2: and when they're on, I think that's why people love them because when they're on, if you throw anywhere near, if they're feeding, they, I mean, you could just sit there and smack yeah. them. Yeah. And and you know if, if all else fails, get an old bobber and some menace. Yeah. <laughs> They'll hit true.
1: those too. I'm going to go back uh, very soon. Turkey season is going to be, you know, when when turkey season rolls in, that's. Oh, it's hard for me to do anything else. But I am going to make it a point to get out there and do some more white bass fishing. It's supposed to be really windy tomorrow and mm-hmm. Friday. They're calling for up to 35 mile an hour winds. I know. But i uh, Friday is supposed to be really warm. I'm going to go fishing somewhere. And I was talking to you a little bit ago. It's either going to be trout fishing in the gorge, mm-hmm. excuse me, or uh, white bass. That's probably my two best chances right now, you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were telling and, and, me.
2: And, and things are just, I believe, and I've been asking around, hey, have you heard this, have you heard that? Things are like three weeks behind. Yeah. You know, so. Well, you know what? It's
1: different in the different streams as well. And, and uh, like I said, I know you don't worry about this than me, but I kind of think mountain streams like in the gorge. Yes. They're Okay. Right now, the Ohio River's backed up. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the Kentucky River's backed up. And therefore, uh, the Elkhorn. The, the Corn- Tribs too, yes. Yeah, are backed up. Are backed up. But then the mountain streams, they flow out a little bit quicker. Yes. And they're a little bit further away from the main waterways. So I feel like they probably get back to normal. Quicker. A little bit quicker. Especially since they're. The way they're fed, they're typically a little bit shallower and stuff like that. They probably warm up quicker. And they don't too. get the silt
2: load because yeah. they're mainly forested areas you're yeah. draining, so you don't have so no crops or any other disturbances to deposit silt.
1: The Salt River looked good yesterday for fishing, but I got a feeling that I could probably go to the gorge, and you were telling me that they stocked some trout recently. Mm-hmm. So I can probably go there and hopefully get into some of that, but I don't think there's anything funner fishing-wise this time of year than the
2: white bass, right? But but. but it's also can be one of the most frustrating because it, it can be great one day and hey. crappy the next. But or, the thing is, tossing yeah. the exact same
1: baits and fishing the same techniques you're, you're casting for those white bass, you can catch smallmouth or, or crappie oh, or uh, spotted bass. You can catch almost anything using those techniques.
2: Our co-worker went yesterday, caught an 18-inch largemouth and a bunch of uh, crappie yeah. while employing white bass techniques.
1: Yeah, now Like I said, I went white bass fishing yesterday, and we caught crappie. And what I'm going to say is a spotted bass mm-hmm. I'm kind of hoping it could be a mean mouth. I got to get some expert in fisheries to tell me whether it is or not. But bass and crappie. So I mean, it's not like you're you're likely to get skunked if you go out there. No. You might get skunked on the white bass, but if you don't get skunked on the white bass, chances are you're going to catch a, a boatload.
2: But by Friday if we get this super warm up. Yeah. You know, you may be walking across the tops of the white bass. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, so. So real quick, we, since we've talked about two things today, we've kind of gone a little bit longer. But I want to make sure anybody who's interested in going out and fishing for white bass mm-hmm. kind of knows how to do it. And we've touched on what to look for as far as, um, you know,
2: the the conditions coming up go. Well, it should be getting better. Yeah, I, can, I think the three top places to go uh-huh. and are Taylorsville. Noland is probably, arguably, has the strongest white s- bass rod. When you say Taylorsville, you mean the Salt River. Yes, the Salt River, Taylors' upper, the upper end of Taylorsville, yeah. the upper end of Noland, and up into Nolan River, and then Harrington. Harrington's still good. Harrington produces not as many sometimes, but can produce bigger fish.
1: So here's a question I have, and I want to keep going over techniques and what to look for here in a second, but I know that the uh, headwaters of Noland, the headwaters of Taylorsville, those are the places to look for them because they're running up. Mm-hmm. Do you get a better concentration of white bass in those streams because they're being fed from a, a reservoir? There's a lot more white bass in that area, so when they run, they're thicker.
2: Uh, yes, okay. and, and the reservoir provides a lot, a lot of nutrients and, and, and tons of food items for yeah. them. So, so they grow well in there. So they grow well, and then when the, when it runs, they know, hey, we got to go upstream and do our thing. So
1: there's more. But there's like a higher concentration of white bass above reservoirs where there's white bass,
2: and, and sometimes they'll get. One thing about white bass, a lot of people think they fish the runs and that's it. When it gets really hot in the summer, and this has been happening on Cave Run a little bit too the last couple of years, but it happens on the Olin, they'll get, like hybrids do it too, they'll get in the jumps. And you'll be out in the middle of the hot and all of a sudden just an eruption. Mm-hmm. of, And they're pinning those shad against the top of the reservoir and just oh. ripping through them. That's a, that's, that can be really fun fishing. It's sporadic, but it can be fun. I'd have to check that out. And hybrids will do that on Harrington as well. They'll get in the job, especially in August and, and into September. So let's just say, uh,
1: so now you said the three places you like the most in the state. Let's just say the white bass run, there's a good chance you could go out anytime during turkey season or maybe even for, yeah, because turkey season's the next three weeks. Mm-hmm. So from now through turkey season, there's probably going to be white bass run, right? Yes, yes. So that's your time period. There's some locations you can think about going. That's not where you have to go, but those are some good spots.
2: One great place to look is go to our website, fw.ky.gov and then go under the fish tab, and there's a thing called find a place to fish. Mm-hmm. And you can select by species, by county, and by water body. But you can go to uh, white bass, yeah. and it will it will show you the places. There's some up and coming fisheries yeah. too that you can check on a fishing forecast that the, the uh, fisheries division produces, which is invaluable. And another cool, and, th- and that gives you access spots yeah. too. That's the great thing. That's places I, you can go wade. That's or, what I was or getting at. Bank fish. Another
1: good thing about the white bass run is that it's a bank fishing opportunity. And you don't need a boat. Yeah, a lot of people don't have boats, and you know a lot of people think about going out and musky fishing. Or even a lot of crappie fishing is done from boats and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But white bass is one where it's probably almost best done from the bank. It is. Yeah.
2: In a lot of spots. And, a, and I try to tell a lot of my stories and stuff to people who don't have boats. Yeah, not everybody
1: has that. Everybody, for the most part, has access to to bank fishing if, mm-hmm. they, if they know where those public access spots are. And then you just tell them how to find them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that, that's the way to go about it. So getting back to the technique, how to do this. they got an idea where. They can look up how to get there. Uh, time period. We talked about a few baits earlier that mm-hmm. were good, but basically just uh,
2: meps, uh, rooster tails. Yes, the inline spins. spinners always work, especially, you know, the, there's some try and true colors. Uh, Obi caught his fish yesterday on a little, um, what they call a shad pole, kind of a, uh-huh. a baby shad. It's a it's a little soft plastic with a straight tail on it, and he caught it in pink and white. And yep. I've actually done well on pink and, and chartreuse. Yeah,
1: we used pink last year. Uh, chartreuse, pink, and white would probably be your three best colors. That, that would
2: be your three best.
1: And, um... See what am I missing? What about where to cast? Because yesterday when I was fishing for them, you know, I was trying the slack water, I was trying the main current, I was trying the channel, I was trying towards the bank. Is there a certain
2: area that you think they run in? I think it's more important to try to find them, you yeah. know, because uh, I mean, so fan cast, find fan a fan cast, fish. and then find them, and also vary your depth. Don't yeah. get married to just reeling it back in. Go down deep. Sometimes they're they're down deeper. Yeah, huh? I mean that, and that's where when you put suspend uh like a you know a little hair jig or a little Popeye under, under a, bob- a bobber, yeah. Um, and I've had them three, four feet deep, and yeah. the bobber goes down. I've had it two feet deep, and I don't get a bite. So and I make it deeper, and then bam! When you when you
1: suspend one of those jigs under a bobber like that, you you can cast it out there, and you can let it sit. But basically, you you pop it,
2: right? Well, just give it you, a little pop. It it depends if you if you don't have current, I'll work it just a little bit. But if you have current, a lot of times I just let the current dictate that because it'll go up and down a little bit yeah. and move, and that'll give it some some. Um, I found mo- a lot of times in fishing, a subtle presentation is a little bit better than an overly aggressive one, yeah. no matter what the species is. That's probably true. But unless they're really on. And then sometimes when they're really on, they want an overly aggressive uh, yeah. uh, retrieve. But most of time, more subtle will work more better than, than
1: harsh and white bass, I mean, they aren't afraid to hit a little bit bigger bait, are they? No. Chad was telling me yesterday, because I, I hit you up for advice yesterday, and I hit Chad up for advice yesterday. And he was saying, man, don't be afraid to cast one of the bigger rooster tails, because they'll they'll hit it. And, and, so, and in the case of
2: Taylorsville, too, you, you might get a nice hybrid.
1: You yeah. Know? Well, he told me, you know, especially with the current, he was basically saying, because I was telling him, I'm going to Walmart to get some baits, what do you think? He said, man, there's a good chance the salt's going to be flowing. You might want to go with a uh, quarter-ounce mm-hmm. uh, bait so that current's not as big an issue. He said, don't be afraid to throw that because they'll hit it.
2: And also a little heavier bait. One of the things I found in white bass fishing, casting distance can be the difference between uh, success and failure. Yeah, I was and, casting clean across that place yesterday. And, and it was great. being able to throw it way far out and, and yeah. retrieve it in is, is, a, is a help. One thing, don't let it get too low or You'll you'll snap all those things off. Man, so I caught there's bottom, a heavy
1: medium there. I caught bottom four or five times yesterday. And one time... So, I mean, I set the hook, and oh, I got resistance, and I actually reeled in a rock, a small rock. I, I've, I've done that before. Yeah, it's
2: not very often you like, catch man, a rock. This, but This is the weirdest fish, and uh, I was like, well, no wonder it's a rock. Yeah, <laughs> I,
1: mean, I mean, it was giving me a fight back and forth, too, kind of going with the current, but somehow I caught that rock perfectly in just a little groove and reeled it all the way in. So, I didn't get skunked at all yesterday. I had a couple of catches. One of no. just wasn't edible. Yeah, no doubt.
2: I've, I've caught rocks, too. Leave. some days that's the only thing i've caught oh that's a bad day <laughs> hey, right. as
1: long as it was nice out no doubt is there anything else you want to go over with the white bass you know more about it than me like i said i'm kind well, of also long too uh, yeah.
2: don't be afraid to throw it when they get a little bit later in the run and they're aggressive throw it throw it to, you can th- throw just a small top water and that is just i mean catching them on top is, is oh. the funnest thing in the world there's don't
1: no there's no funner way to catch any fish than on top water so if they're aggressive top water and then that's just yeah way too much fun i'm gonna be throwing top water when it, as soon as it starts warming up and i feel like the bass are moving up towards the banks on like ponds and stuff like that mm-hmm. lakes i want to be ca- casting a buzzbait right before dark along those banks and just paralleling them hoping i can find those fish held up in there now, i've tried it a few times but i've just been out there hoping because it's been so cold been. yeah it's
2: it's not there yet but when it is it's it's fun
1: sometimes i get ahead of myself
2: also, too, uh, white bass are delicious. So oh, yeah, don't be afraid to keep them. Yeah, don't be afraid to keep them. Right? Just when, when you prepare a maroni species, whether it be a hybrid, striper, or white bass, that that kind of thick red meat during the middle, you need to get that out before you freeze it and everything. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, there's been people made the mistake of cutting that out before cooking, but freeze it, and it, it will it will saturate the meat and give it an off taste. So get, a, I
1: never have experience of it. Get that red meat it's out. It's good there. to know. Good to know. I'm sure there's a lot of information out there, but I think we, we've covered some good topics today.
2: And check your uh, fishing forecast at fw.ky.gov. hit fish, and then forecast, and then and you can select by white bass there, too, if there's see if there's a good place that's, that's close to you, because there's quite a few emerging fisheries right now on white bass. Right now,
1: the, the regs on white bass, I checked them out, state, statewide regs, uh, no size limit, mm-hmm. a 15 fish limit per day. 30 fish possession limit, but 15 fish per day, mm-hmm. no size limits, which you're allowed to keep. So you can get a couple of days worth of food out of it. A...
2: Now, there is, after 15 inches, there is a restriction on how many you can keep. Really? Because, well, we have whites and hybrids uh, kind of mixed in together because so many people have, usually if it's 15 or better, it's a hybrid. Yeah. So,
1: I didn't see that when I looked at the guide, but I'm sure it's in there. If, just... if
2: memory serves correctly, it's five.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense. But
2: yeah. But, but most of them are under 15. It's usually a white bass because some people really have a hard time. Uh, differentiating you
1: have to really look at the lateral lines yeah
2: because yeah. that's where the main difference is and there's right? variation too so it's i mean i struggle with it and yeah. i've been doing it a long time so yeah.
1: well i'll tell you what Lee, let's wrap it up we had zach on talked about turkey hunting i think we got some good stuff there talked about the white bass basically i was hoping we could give some people an idea of what was going on or what they could get out and do right now no doubt for the next few weeks and we'll be back on within the next week or so i'll I'd be say. getting
2: my kayak out within a, within a week
1: i'm going so. i might be going tomorrow might, I might cast a sail and just get pushed around mm-hmm. tomorrow. I mean, the wind's supposed to be 35 miles an hour. But I, I've been itching to do it. And uh, like I said, turkey season, white bass run, weather's going to be getting nice. So it's kind of exciting if you're if you're into the outdoors.
2: The smallmouth have been a little bit down mm-hmm. um, just because it's been so unusually cold and unusually muddy. But I'm telling you, within two weeks when this low, if it falls out and we get a warm front, they will be on fire. Oh, I'm going to go. Let's go yes. together sometime. Yes. Yeah, we need to do that. We need pictures. Let's set the Elkhorn sounds like a plan
1: to me all right well let's do it lee <laughs> i'm gonna go ahead and close this podcast out but sounds good we'll get back and uh yeah we'll go fishing and hopefully you can give me some more info on the white bass run after it's obi that's going to fish right
2: yes he is and once i hear i'm going to sneak out sometime yeah. in the next yeah.
1: week my, my, i got some buddies going back on friday as well so we'll get a good report from somewhere and hopefully we can and, hit and it.
2: once and once they're on they're on for a while so yeah. all right well appreciate it lee okay man